I'm Brett Chang. And I'm Jay Rosenthal, and this is your Peak Daily for Wednesday, March 9th, where we cover the biggest stories in Canadian and global business, finance, and tech, all in about seven minutes, we'll say today. Yeah, about seven minutes. But Jay, so you mentioned to me that there is an update on a story that we talked about, I think it was like a week ago. Yeah, so Dua Lipa, who I really like, and her song Levitating, which is awesome, especially the version with Da Baby, was facing a copyright lawsuit a week ago from a reggae brand. That's like story number one. Story number two, I just saw this, is that Dua Lipa is being sued again for copyright infringement by another band on two songs or two other bands. One is a song called Don Diablo, and another song is called A Wiggle and a Giggle All Night. They're older songs, so struck me like why are they suing Dua Lipa because she got the money maybe the reggae band stole their songs and then they're suing her that's all to say this song has become quite controversial after I listened to it 8,000 times on Spotify so what's your verdict Jay I think I don't know what's that saying everything is derivative of something or there's no new ideas like does the song sound the same these two songs do not sound like her song at all I could get you see the sort of cadence of the of the rhythm or the rhyming but that doesn't mean you're stealing it it just seems like she's a star people are taking shots at her and I don't mean to be so in the camp of Dua Lipa and I'm not an artist so I can't really complain but it seems pretty far-fetched yeah, I agree. I thought that the reggae band, they had more of a case to be made and that that sounded pretty similar, but the cadence of the other two was the only similarity and it just didn't, it doesn't make sense for me. And so anyways, I, and I also like it undermines the lawsuit because now you have like everyone just piling on. It looks like, like everyone's copying each other. So anyways, I, I think it's fine. And I'm also like in this creative genre, people copy each other and that's kind of part of it. I agree with you. Like everything's a derivative of something. So anyways, I'm not, I'm not a copyright legal expert, but you know, I'm gonna I'll make the I'll make the verdict. I think not oh. guilty is what I would say. Okay, there you go. And and because I know you like to a wiggle and a giggle all night, which is the name of one of the songs doing. Aside from that, Brett, what do we have for Peak Pals today? For our first story, Russian oil. For our second story, cybersecurity. And for our third story, new Apple products. For our first story, a U.S. ban on Russian oil that was thought to be, quote, out of the realm of possibility only a few days ago has become a reality following yesterday's announcement of a U.S. ban on Russian oil imports. Brett, this seems like a big, big deal. What is going on? Well, it's a big deal. If you've looked at the gas prices lately, it's over two bucks a liter in some places, which is just wild. And this is a big part of it. So the U.S. imports about 100,000 barrels of crude oil a day from Russia, roughly 8% of their total oil imports, making this the biggest sanction yet in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Now, they can confidently execute this embargo as they don't actually rely on Russia for energy or really anyone. 2020 marked the lowest number of natural gas imports to the U.S. since 1993. And in Europe, countries import about 30% of their oil and 40% of their natural gas from Russia. The U.S. stated they want to reduce their reliance on Russian gas, but an immediate stop would have catastrophic economic consequences there. But they might not get the chance to choose. Russia is threatening to shut off its main gas pipeline to Germany in response to the U.S. oil ban. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction here, which is you have... The U.S., which can impose these sanctions because they don't really rely on Russian gas and oil. And then in Europe, it's much more of a complicated picture. And if it's not already clear, this is why it all matters. So the U.S. and the EU might look to Canada to step up and replace lost resources. But as we reported last week, Environment Minister Stephen Goubeau told Bloomberg that the infrastructure simply isn't in place for Canada to be able to ramp up production. But 
This hasn't stopped countries like Latvia from lobbying for Canadian natural gas or Alberta Premier Jason Kenney from chiming in that we could revive the currently dead in the water Keystone XL pipeline, which the White House spokesperson Jen Psaki actually spoke about yesterday, if you caught that memeable moment. Just connecting this to kind of what we talked about before, we're already feeling the pain at the pumps as gas tops $2 at some stations and Vancouver prices soar to the highest in all of North America, which leads a lot of Canadians thinking that Canada needs to resolve our own gas problems before becoming an international savior. So if we can't supply ourselves, then maybe we should focus on that for before go before giving to others. Taking it to our second story, Google is putting in an all-cash offer of $5 billion to purchase cybersecurity company Mandiant and make up lost ground in the cloud computing space against competitors. Jay, can you tell Peak Pals about Mandiant? Sure. So Mandiant is a cybersecurity firm, and they notably were the first to discover the 2020 SolarWinds hack, which exposed Microsoft as well as some pretty secretive government agencies. And now they're joining Google. But Google wasn't the only potential acquirer here. Microsoft was also in talks with Mandiant and worked with the company to uncover the SolarWinds hack a couple of years ago, as I mentioned. But they decided it was not a strategic fit, probably meaning that $5 billion is more than they're being offered. Yeah, that's probably what it means. Now, if the acquisition is successful, it would be Google's second biggest buyout. In 2012, the company paid $12.5 billion for Motorola Mobility. But don't hold your breath. Pending regulatory approval could be an issue. Now, it took 14 months of regulatory scrutiny before Google could close a $2.1 billion purchase of Fitbit last year. So, Jay, why does Google's acquisition of Mandiant matter? Well, companies and governments are increasingly moving their operations to the cloud, which has created an attractive target for hackers. The cost of cyber crimes are closing in on a trillion dollars per year globally, something we covered a couple of weeks back. And the shift is creating a massive demand for cybersecurity services, a market which is expected to grow by $352 billion by 2026. That's a lot of hacking being done. The acquisition is part of the search engine's efforts to diversify its revenue streams, moving its focus from advertising to increasing its share of the cloud computing market, which generates $19 billion for Google annually and is extremely high margin. Google only held 10% of their market in the fourth quarter of 2021, whereas Amazon and Microsoft held 33% and 21%, respectively, which brings us to the bigger picture. Google's big cloud customers expect top-notch cybersecurity like we all do, a feature that is associated more with Google's competitors as we speak. Acquiring Mandiant is part of the strategy to erode Microsoft and Amazon's cloud advantage. And for our final story. Apple's peak performance event included a number of hot new gadgets. Brett, I am an Android phone user, and I do like that Android phone. I am a Mac user, and I know you love all Apple products. Walk the peak pals through what Apple announced this week. I, I don't know how you live in a split ecosystem. <laughs> I like to have everything under one roof. Okay, so can I tell you what actually it, it actually relates to yeah. the previous story? It's all it's all Google. Well. Okay, well, I'm going to leave that alone because you can't send messages <laughs> on your computer because you're using a separate phone anyways. It doesn't matter. The highly anticipated Apple Peak Performance event showcased a list of new features for the latest models of iPads, iPhones, and Macs, but importantly, a powerful new M1 Ultra chip. It sounds dangerous. And Mac Studio <laughs> Desktop were the stars of the show. Jay, do you want to give the Peak Pals a little run-through of what was, uh, what was announced? I can't wait. Yes. The M1 Ultra was introduced for desktop computers and is essentially two M1 Max chips connected using what they call Ultra Fusion. The monster of a chip supports up to 128 gigabytes of unified memory with 800 gigabytes per second of bandwidth, 
with a 20 core CPU and it's eight times faster, eight times faster, Brett, than the M1 chip, which is blazing fast. I, I haven't felt like anything's gotten faster since 2016. They keep saying it's faster, but you just can't notice it because I'm using Slack and email half the time. Now, the third generation of the iPhone SE will be powered by the A15 Bionic chip, the same chip that powers the iPhone 13. It is 5G capable with a 12 megapixel camera and a fingerprint scan instead of Face ID. Now, it starts at the lower price point of $429 US, which is relatively lower than other models. And while we're on the topic of iPhones, two new green finishes were introduced for iPhone 13 and 13 Pro. I usually get mine in black, so that's not a big deal for me. <laughs> on to iPads. iPad Air 5 will come equipped with the M1 chip, giving it a 60% faster performance over the A14 Bionic chip. It will be 5G compatible as well and comes in classic colors like space gray and starlight, along with pink, purple, and blue. Which, what color of that do you want? Black. You want purple? I want black. I okay, fair well, enough. no, I want black. And finally, the Mac Studio, an insanely powerful little desktop computer that despite its size offers top-of-the-line performance with its M1 Max or M1 Ultra option and ultimate wireless connectivity with Wi-Fi 6 and Bluetooth 5. Now, the Studio display is 27-inch screen. When paired with the Mac Studio, it offers, according to them, the best combination of camera and audio ever in a desktop display. That's a big claim. Jay, did any of these devices catch your eye? <laughs> yeah, the last one, the studio display and the Mac Studio. I just took a look at it as we were putting together this show, and it is sweet. I also priced it out. That is an also very expensive duo, but one for people that do creative work and do it on a Mac computer, it's not out of the realm of sort of getting it and, and setting it up. And it does seem to be faster, better, stronger, all those things. And so now I have a new thing to obsess over over the next couple of weeks. I've always wanted to get a desktop computer, but I just can't justify it. Like, I, I don't work at home enough. I'm on the road. And so, anyways, I probably won't get it. But that, yeah, it does look very, very cool. Peak Pals, thanks for making us the most listened to. And only. Daily Canadian business news podcast in the country. If you've got a second one, I follow this podcast on your app of choice and leave us a review. And if you want more Peak, make sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter at readthepeak.com. And as always, thanks to Dale Richardson and 306 Media Productions for putting together this episode. Thank you, Dale. And thank you, Brett. And for those of you listening, shout out to all of you listening on an Android phone. Fight the power. <laughs> Have a good day, Brett. You too, Jay. <laughs>